according to the World Health Organization's 2021 global report, one in seven 10 to 19 year olds experiences a mental disorder, accounting for 13% of the global burden of disease in this age group. Depression, anxiety, and behavioral disorders are among the leading causes of illness and disability among adolescents. And depression alone accounts for nearly 5% of the global burden of disease and is amongst the largest single cause of disability worldwide. 11% of all years lived with disability globally. What's even more uh, striking is that this is even more uh, true for girls and young women. Suicide is the fourth leading cause of death amongst 15 to 19 year olds and adolescents with mental health conditions are particularly vulnerable to social exclusion, discrimination, stigma, affecting readiness to seek help, educational difficulties, risk-taking behaviors linked to communicable diseases and physical ill health. The consequences of failing to address adolescent mental health conditions seriously can extend to adulthood, impairing both physical and mental health and limiting opportunities to lead fulfilling productive lives as adults but also adding to mental and physical social detriment. The 66th World Health Assembly, consisting of ministers of health of 194 member states, adopted the World Health Organization's Comprehensive Mental Health Action Plan 2013 to 2020 in May 2013. And in 2021, the, 74, uh, the 74th World Health Assembly endorsed updates to that action plan. It included updates to the plan's options for implementation and indicators. This is our inspiration, and one could say North Star, throughout this season, as we try to understand the complex ecosystem of mental and neurological health. So throughout this season, listeners, you'll be hearing from a diverse set of voices who each represent a unique and holistic outlook on mental health and well-being and perceived disorders, but have also dedicated their lives and careers to this endeavor. I'm Rohit Segal, Chief Strategist at The Voices Project, and today I'm joined by Hun Ming Kuang, the founder and co-artistic director of ThisConnect.today, an advocacy platform that focuses on raising awareness for mental health and suicide prevention. But as we'll find out on this episode, there's a lot more under the surface that needs to be understood if we are to understand this space better. MK, welcome, and thank you for joining this show. Thank you, Rohit. Thank you for having me here today. So, I've been very intrigued and interested to have this discussion with you today. There's a lot more to you than your bio would indicate. Why don't you tell our listeners and myself what got you into this field and a bit more about yourself? Well, what got me into this field, you know, into wanting to help people and to make a difference to people, you know, really started out from a very pure intention that I have always been, you know, out there since I was 19, you know, um, wanting to help people. And that desire of wanting to help people started from me searching for answers within myself. You know, at the age of 19, one of the questions that I started having, you know, with myself, you know, is, you know, who am I if it's not for all the achievements and titles that I carry? Because I came to realize, you know, that, you know, we can have all this money in this world, but what is the point if we can't bring it to the grave that we will be lying, you know, one day? And 
what I saw in that moment, you know, was that many people, they chase their life, chasing after the hustle and bustle of life without necessarily knowing, you know, what truly matters to them. Mm. And ironically speaking, you know, even though, you know, some of them are labelled to be successful in the eyes of the people itself, they themselves did not feel that they are whole and complete. So this were the real time phenomenon that I saw and experienced, you know, when I was 19. And that eventually led me to start asking myself deeper questions about who am I as a person? What really matters to me? If today was to be the last day of my life, you know, what would that be? So I started on a journey to seek for the answer for myself. And long story short, I did find the answers and that started uh, my commitment that I made, you know, that I wanted to make a difference to people. And one of the things that I put myself out there to do is, you know, I try to raise awareness to people when it comes to human transformation as well. So I've been trained as a professional life coach, you know, since then. I also, you know, I think, you know, Rohit, you know, as you mentioned, you know, I'm the founder of Disconnect. So Disconnect was the advocacy platform that I started up um, since 2020 with a so simple thing, you know, that I want to bring awareness, you know, to people when it comes to mental wellness and emotional literacy so that this can actually help in our understanding of mental health and also suicide prevention. And most of you guys, as you remember, you know, back in 2020, this was also the time when the pandemic really hits uh, most of the countries and Singapore was going through a tough time into the lockdown. There were many reports, many issues that started showing up. Um, for example, you know, violence, you know, cases, you know, started going up. More and more people are calling, you know, the hotlines, you know, to seek for mental health help as well. So these were the things that started showing up, you know, but one of the things that people don't get it was the pandemic wasn't the thing that caused the mental illness or mental health issues that people have. These were the issues that were always and has always been there for a very long time. And it's just that we weren't ready for that kind of conversation. And I saw that pandemic was an opportunity to bring that awareness to people itself. So we started doing, you know, work, you know, around that. But there's another backstory that kind of happened, um, you know, about six months before that. One of my friends actually um, ended, you know, his life, you know, through to me. So, um, Correct. So I wasn't particularly close with him. Um, but, you know, when that thing came up, you know, the news actually came up myself. I thought that it was finally time to act upon the mental health plans that I made a couple of years before, you know, and to take it into real action. So this connect, you know, is three, three years old and we have organized some of the largest multimedia exhibitions in Singapore to raise awareness of mental wellness and suicide prevention. And we still do a lot of humanitarian campaigns work and also, you know, creating new interventions that allow people to understand who they truly are, you know, beyond anything else. Because mental wellness is just part of the equation of who am I? So this is far more closer and personal and your experiences as we'll hear over the course of the next hour or so is gonna take us into a very, um, I would say personal story in that regard. I mean, this is something that has affected you personally and you've decided that something needs to be done. Not many of us have that opportunity nor have that resolve. 
As we talk about this a bit in more detail, let me sort of try and refer back to um, some of the narrative that we've seen in the Mental Health Action Plan, because while we sort of try and break this down, um, there have been some very stark uh, data and statistics that perhaps I think echoes also what you've been uh, experiencing. Now, health systems in large parts of Southeast Asia and the wider region, and I should say probably most of the world, have not yet adequately responded to the burden of mental disorders. This is according to uh, the World Health Organization. And as a consequence, the gap between the need for treatment, now we'll define treatment as we'll talk a little bit now, and its provision is large and it's widening. And perhaps not only because of the last two years of pandemic isolation and disruption, but for many other factors, some look at technology, some talk about the alienation of the uh, value system, fam familial bonds, uh, all sorts of different reasons, economy and so on. But MK, what, what's driving this sort of widening gap between an understanding or an acceptance of one's mental health? And in a way, are we allowing too many young sufferers to fall through the cracks? Well, I think, you know, to really answer this question is so that we have to look at this whole issue um, from a different perspective and different lenses that we wear. Because um, a person, you know, who writes policy itself, you know, would look at this from a different approach. Whereas a person who is on the ground, you know, trying to help other people, like counselors, therapists, you know, or even, you know, your teachers in schools, you know, they would look at this, you know, from a very different approach. And likewise, you know, for a person who is suffering, you know, stuff, you know, they're going to see this from a different approach as well. And I think fundamentally, we have to begin to understand the big picture of what is causing mental illness and mental health issues, or even um, putting the mental wellness of the people at stake. And I feel that, you know, it has got to do with a large part where people don't really understand themselves. Now, of course, you know, we like to think that we know who we are. For the most part, that's what the ego says, you know. But truly, you know, how much do we really know? What about the things that we don't know, that we don't know about ourselves, that exist within us? So I see this whole process, you know, is a way of unpeeling the onion itself, layers by layers and layers, as you go into this whole journey into your own rabbit hole. I call it the rabbit hole because, you know, Matrix itself, you know, is one of the movies that really illustrates very specifically what I'm talking about. The whole process, you know, of unfolding our life itself, unfolding ourselves, and also self-actualization itself, they are all part of the same equation itself. But to be able to self-actualize ourselves, we have to first understand and know who we are. And who we are isn't based on our identity. Because at the end of the day, we need to realize that our names that we were given since we were given from birth, you know, is nothing more but a social construct. Unfortunately, our marriage, you know, our, it's, it's just another social contract as well, you know, for lack of a better word. And many of these social contracts and social expectations, we kind of take it upon ourselves and moderate as part of our identity. But if we allow ourselves to start, you know, dismantling all these different parts of us, you know, what we're going to begin to see is a very unfamiliar sense of ourselves that we don't really necessarily express ourselves in you know, that way to the society because we learned a lot of adaptation and molding along the years 
we know what to do and what is not socially acceptable to do, so we behave in a certain way. But, and that's why, you know, this, this thing called fear, we fear of our unknown. And for some people, you know, we actually fear of who we really are instead of us. That's a, I mean, that's, that's, that's such a real way of looking at it. Um, what, you, what you're saying, if, I'm, if, I, if I try and understand this, is that our identities don't necessarily, well, let's say our social identities, let's put it that way, it doesn't always match up to who our actual identity is. Now, that can be true for so many different situations and for so many, and at the time when, you know, people are forming their own identity and understanding who or what they are to become, do you think the societal pressures adds on this sort of race to quickly get there? You know, identify yourself through oh. your career, identify yourself through your grades, identify yourself through your friends. I mean, oh, so you know, identify identifying yourself, you know, through the achievements, through the titles that you carry. I mean, your achievements are great because you know it kind of show that you have certain competency in a functioning, you know, material world that move fast. But really, if it wasn't for the title. Who are you? And this is where most people is going to feel stuck because, you know, their whole life, they never stop for a moment to even start thinking about who they really are. You know, a person who is a doctor out there, you know, may not necessarily chose it consciously to be a doctor, but it was something that they inherit from their, you know, unfulfilled wishes of their family. And these are real cases, you know, of stories and there are many more that I hear, you know, in my journey as a life coach itself and also as a teacher of the transformational work. Now, I've seen people, you know, having depression, you know, for many, many years. And of course, as we work through with them, their issues, you know, not from a therapeutic point, you know, but more from a transformational point itself, you know, we were able to find out the original cause that started, you know, their whole depression. And it could be a simple statement of how their mom actually said to her, you know, that she wasn't good enough when she was, you know, in primary one, just because she didn't get full marks for her mathematics paper. Mm. And that became the, you know, the thing that imprinted into her life whereby, you know, she felt that she wasn't enough. So she spent her whole life chasing after, you know, things, you know, to make herself feel powerful, feel that, you know, she's worth something. But when she falls short, you know, that's when she starts beating herself, you know, really, really hard. And for the most part, you know, we've been taught, you know, what it means to be smart. I kind of hope that to be true, uh, even though that's not necessarily true because we only learn to study by books, but we don't really learn street smart itself. We don't really know, you know, how to fall you know, how, how to climb back things up, you know, when we fall. You know, there's a lot of, you know, those kind of lessons, you know, that we don't really necessarily learn, you know, unless, you know, we have real life experience out there. And that comes with that question, are you living a life? If we have never taken a risk in our life and we've been living a life based on the life that we were told to live, then we are going to miss out a lot of experiences in life. And if one of the purpose of life is, is to experience life, then are we really living true to our purpose? You know, it's sometimes the scale of urbanization, uh, one almost looks at it to, to, to pick up your point, it removes a person from that sense of who they are and what they are. I, I always find it 
sometimes a bit of a, uh, I, I, although I see it all the time, if anyone uh, who lives in Singapore will know about botanic gardens and the wonderful roosters and chickens and Malayan water lizards that roam around there. And I see children of rather, you know, uh, adolescent age seeing all that for literally the first time. I've seen young children get surprised at, you know, a, a, a rooster crowing. And I sometimes ask myself that when, is, is that part of the alienation that we're, by no other reasons, uh, in a way, separating young people away from, let's say, understanding experiences, be they natural experiences, be they um, cultural experiences or other sort of things? Are we, are we putting them into an urban field um, right from the get-go and therefore, in a way, institutionalizing them without the necessary experiences that carry forward? Is, the, uh, is that sort of something that comes through on that? I think, you know, there's some truth to that as well. But I also want to state that, you know, most people think that um, our education really prepares us for everything in life, but the truth is not. And, you know, from my personal, you know, humble, you know, um, opinion itself, you know, that I think, you know, emotional literacy is a big thing that's missing out in our education. And that's why, you know, I think Disconnect as a platform is trying to fill in the gap as well. And I'm currently producing about four books, you know, that kind of speaks about, um, the gaps around mental health on the ground is happening in our social fabrics. And I'm hoping that this four books itself will be one of the first few materials um, that schools will actually use, you know, to actually uh, get the students to be educated and to be aware of their emotions. Most of our times, you know, we really don't understand our emotions. We think that we're feeling happy, we think that we're feeling sad, we think that we're feeling angry, but we don't realize that each of these emotions have layers. For example, you know, even sadness happens layers as well grief is one of the deeper part of sadness you know that comes from you know a sense of loss you know same as anger as well you know which on the other end of the spectrum we have rage so emotions you know, do have layers so and we don't understand these layers at all you know we generalize many things that we don't understand and we pretend that we do but we don't understand how complex these things are and i think that you know one of the things that people need to realize this is we tend to generalize things. We tend to try to simplify things when it's not supposed to be simplified. An equation is complex altogether. An equation is what it is. You don't really distill something complex just because you know most people don't understand because they don't have the capacity to understand. So if we keep on distilling and distilling and distilling, we're going to get a very distilled generation. We're going to get a distilled civilization. We're going to get a very distilled people who are unable to understand the complexities of life. Mm, yeah, yeah, this is, I mean, it's, it's fascinating because one always hears about uh, genetically modified um, uh, aspects, but the emotionally modified, I mean, that's an interesting, that's an interesting space to go down. Now, MK, you've, in our, in, our, in our last few conversations, you described this really interesting concept of holistic uh, outlook, the holistic health, let's call that, the mental, the, mental, the physical, the spiritual. Yep. I, I took that out as almost like this integrated mesh, you know, rather than individualized sort of personas that we all uh, exist, right? It's like we have these three entities within us, not really. It's more like an integrated mesh, isn't it? And perhaps sometimes when we talk about mental health, it somehow in our heads defaults to this sort of more treatment, physical, mental, sort of, you know, therapeutic, but there's the mental and the emotional and the spiritual aspects. 
describe that for our listeners and, and, and talk us through that concept. Um, and perhaps you've mentioned that in some of your writing as well, but it would be great to know a bit more about that. Okay, so, you know, we are not just our mental body. We are not just our physical body. We have many different parts of us. Our physical body at most is the physical side of things that we can hold on to because we can touch it, we can feel it. So we know that it's there. But so is our mental body. So is our emotional body as well. And, you know, likewise, our spiritual body as well. Now, when I talk about spiritual bodies, I'm not coming from a space of um, religion or whatsoever, but I'm talking about the spirit of life itself that, you know, most of us, we are very disconnected to, you know, that Native American, you know, or even, you know, people from the past itself, our ancestors, you know, kind of spoke about. So in the times in Japan itself, you know, where wars was a thing, people call that the better spirit. Um, you know, in certain religion itself, you know, they call it the Holy Spirit, but they're all talking about the same thing, this thing called spirit. So spirituality itself, you know, I don't see it, I, I see it more as a way of life than not. But, you know, we got to understand that, you know, we are not the person we are today by chance, but, you know, we are the person we are today by the collective experiences that we once had. And these are the things that kind of shape us, you know, um, to look at this way in a very different perspective as well. Somebody, you know, could be more physically inclined, somebody could be more emotionally inclined, some people could be more mentally inclined, depending on their configuration. And this configuration is kind of determined, you know, from the kind of experiences that you have in life, including your traumas as well. Now, Rohi, I know what you want me to talk about. We want to look into how when repress emotions when we don't deal with them and how it affects the other system as well. Now, a lot of times we tend to isolate our system. All right. We tend to isolate our system thinking that, you know, oh, my body is sick. My body is ill. You know, it must be because I'm not sleeping enough. It must be because I'm stressed. Again, you know, we're generalizing things. But sometimes we don't realize that each of these different parts of us are interconnected. For example, our emotions does affect our well-being. The way our mind, you know, thinks and thought, you know, actually affects our body as well. So for example, now, when we don't deal with some of these difficult emotions, I specifically say difficult emotions because for the most part, it is difficult for our system to handle. Therefore, we kind of find ways to shove it down, to suppress it or to repress it. And it's because, you know, we never had the emotional literacy to know how to deal with them. And when this difficult emotion sometimes comes, you know, we tend to sweep it underneath the carpet. And, you know, just because we forgot about it, just because it doesn't feel as much as it is before, doesn't mean it is there. And a lot of these emotions that we suppress, they become baggages that kind of affect our physical system or even our mental system if we don't deal with them. And some people call it psychosomatic, all right? My personal experiences, you know, not as a life coach, not as a professional creative director, you know, of Disconnect, but, you know, in the line of work that I do um, in my private life itself, you know, as a healer, you know, is that I discovered that many of these physical diseases that people have, you know, comes from a lot of unresolved issues that they have, you know, as they were growing up. 
and the word disease you know come from the word disease right right and this is you know really means that a person is not at ease and you know when a person is not aligned to who they are or what they do in their life or who they are being in their life you know disease starts happening so one of the things that i know to be true is you know cancer itself is not just a mere physical symptom but there are a lot of emotional baggages that started affecting the body from original cause that eventually manifests itself as disease same as many illnesses as well yeah you mentioned a phrase there that i think you know, is not used often enough. We we talk a lot about digital literacy. We talk a lot about health literacy. Uh, you use the phrase emotional literacy. Yeah, that's probably one of the areas that we most of I guess society today doesn't have the right sort of equilibrium in. Right. I mean, that's that seems to be a bit of a an overemphasis on others, but on the emotional literacy and the self awareness seems to be a bit of a gap. Not not just here in Singapore. I'm sure in many places as well. I mean, well, when we talk about this from the perspective of, let's say, um, trauma or uh, uh, things that might have happened that aren't in our, uh, you know, sort of conscious realm, perhaps uh, more in the subconscious, um, it's a hard road to navigate to try and understand. Well, what could that source be? Is, is there is there a is there an element of having to really sort of go through? either a process or a regression to go back into what that source might have been. Well, I think it's really important because if you don't know the source of things itself, how can you even figure who you are as a person, especially when your past, you know, is the evidence and it contains the data that you need to figure out who you are as a person. So I feel that, you know, this whole thing around wellness, about emotional wellness, mental wellness, around finding your purpose in life, you know, who you truly are as a person, they are all interconnected. When a person is on purpose, living true to what they were meant to do in their life, most of these people are not sick. So what I'm also saying is this, this is sometimes as morbid as we look at it, sometimes it can be a wake-up call. Mm a wake-up call that we see, hey, you're going to live to be on purpose right now. It gets you started. It gets you start to look into what is truly important. Because why? If it's not for all these breaks that happen in your life, you know what? You're just going to keep on going and going and going, you know, and sometimes we take life for granted. But I know it's very difficult to grasp because, you know, But it's true, isn't it? That it is no. I, I, a wake up cause, you know, before people can realize things. Yeah. And and sometimes, you know, um, I guess wake up calls can almost appear. Um, like, how how do you identify your own wake up calls? So, if someone has had, let's say, uh, a hard roll of the dice. I mean, has had, let's say, comes from a broken family, doesn't have, let's say, the right access to um, you know various resources has to basically fend for her or himself in fairly risky or dangerous circumstances um, a certain I guess uh, outlook forms in life and there's various many layers to that which I guess leads to not just depression anxiety and things like that but potentially even some of the more um, 
diagnosed areas of, let's say, you know, uh, chronic depression, uh, schizophrenia, and then even into some other more, let's say, physical expressions of that disease. It's a, it's, it's a multi-complex perspective to look at. And I think, as you say, the wake-up call is something that I think that person, him or herself, has to ultimately realize that this is the wake-up call and this is my destination and this is my calling. It's not something that can be pointed towards. I, I, I guess I'm trying to understand the, the process by which that acceptance would come in to somebody. And, you know, sometimes these are the hardest, you know, lessons in life that, you know, a person has to learn because, you know, only when we allow ourselves to accept, you know, whatever is happening in our life, then can we really change it? Then can we really talk about transformation? There is no change that can happen if we keep on being in denial of the life that we are living. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, we were talking earlier in a various different forums around uh, HPV and cervical cancer. And, and it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching because a lot of the exposure to risky behaviors starts at just too young an age. I mean, we're talking in teens and we're talking about exposure to uh, you know, uh, unsafe sexual practices and so on that ultimately leads to contracting um, uh, cancer-causing viruses. And you really don't have much of a chance when that really sinks in and then begins the other dynamic of you know, loss of treatment and so on. So MK, I guess in that context, and thank you so much for at least setting this foundation of what it means to traverse the area of, um, I guess, this identity or self-actualization, because that has a lot to do with this wider, broader, more mechanical term of mental health. And it's important that we humanize it, um, that this isn't just something that just becomes a sort of a clinical phrase. Um, MK, describe what in your perception is driving young people to despair today uh, and, and, and considering what we're now obviously seeing more and more of extreme measures. What, what's, what's your, what's your, what's your in, insights to that? Very difficult for me to say, uh, to answer that, you know, because you know, many people deal with different things in life and their bandwidth are different as well. How much are they you know, able to take on you know, whatever life throws at them curveballs through at them, you know, is really different. It's different from people to people. So, you know, now, as I already mentioned just now earlier, you know, I think that the history, the past that a person went through as they were growing up, you know, has a huge part of equation that kind of holds them um, into where their life will actually go. And the thing is this, when we talk about suicide itself, you know, most people, when they commit suicide itself, you know, guess what? They don't really think about suicide. It never occurred to them that they are ending their life and the consequences of it because they don't have the bandwidth and the capacity to get that. All they wanted to do, you know, was to end whatever issues that they were dealing with that created, that gave them so much pain and make them feel so overwhelmed. All they wanted, you know, is for this thing to stop. And the thing is this, when they make a move like this, that's it. And oftentimes, you know, we talk about the bereaved families, but how about the bereaved friends, the friends who are around them, the people who are around them? We don't really look into that kind of equations anymore. And I feel that, you know, more 
awareness you know, can be done around that. But more importantly, if you're asking me about the psychology of the people itself, that's that. So I feel that, you know, if we want to talk about how can we prevent, you know, how can we make sure, I think the right equation is not about just prevention. It's really about how can we ensure that the people in our frame, that, in the framework that we operate on in the world today, how can we be well? How can we live a good life? How can we live a good and fulfilling life that gives each of us you know, meanings and purpose? How can we, you know, and, and another question you know, to ask is really, what is a good death? We don't really ask these questions anymore. And I feel that it's a pity because these questions, you know, even though it is philosophical, most people brush it aside because they realize they don't have the answers. So it is easier to just move through to another thing itself rather than to confront yourself to face the difficult questions in life. And I think the resilience and courage is a very important quality that we need to have because the world is not going to become more simpler. It's going to become more sophisticated. And we better be ready you know, to deal with the challenges that comes with this sophistication. So we are no longer just talking about being socially um, sophisticated, but also psychologically sophisticated enough to have the capacity and the groundedness to handle life itself. But guess what? Whatever choices that we make, there are always consequences. There are always cause and effect. But the thing is this, the world continues to move regardless. So the only question is this, would you want to make your life count? And I think that this is a question that most people need to be able to answer that. And I'm not speaking this, you know, from an authoritarian point whereby I think I'm better than you, that kind, of that kind of nonsense. But it's really the important questions that will give us meaning in life and fulfillment in life. And fulfillment comes from the word fulfill. F-U-L-L-F-I-L-L-E-D. Are you full as a person? Are you filled as a person? Are you whole and complete? When you are whole and complete, you can move on to the next part of your journey. But for the most part, how do we really know what is at the peak of the mountain if we have never completed climbing the mountain to the peak? Most of us, every three steps that we take, we start whining, we start giving up, and we make excuses. And we start buying to these excuses, and this becomes our limiting belief of what is possible and what is not possible. Miracles are really out there. But the problem is, you know, our mind is too small to grab it or to grasp it. So we dismiss it. Yeah. Yeah, miracles truly are, are out there. You, you talked earlier about um, friends and the, uh, the impact that, you know, uh, suicides that obviously have on, on who's left behind. Um, I'll, I'll give you an interesting analogy and maybe ask you a hidden question in there. Um, years back, we were working on um, insights related to uh, schizophrenia and uh, chronic depression, but we realized that it wasn't about talking with psychiatrists or anything of that sort. It was actually talking to people who you'd least expect it, you know, um, friends, family, dentists, uh, uh, GPs, nurses. And the idea was that what are you looking deeper at the person in front of you, you know, when was the last time that we actually looked at our friends or our relatives closely beyond who we just assumed them to be and notice subtle differences or notice certain habits. I've always been reading so much about how after 
uh, an extreme action has happened. You know, a lot of friends, families, people who supposedly knew people very closely would say, we had no idea. And I'm wondering whether there is part of this self-actualization or understanding has to also be related to this broader community that are we looking or recognizing, you know, uh, what's in front of us rather than the electronic device that we seem to be distracted from a little bit too much these days. Yeah, distractions, they are always everywhere. You know, if only we could stop for a moment, you know, look into the eyes of somebody, you know, who is taking the same, you know, right home with us in a train. You know, how many of us, you know, ever stop for a moment in a train to look up and to look at the people around? Most people are just looking down in their cell phones or, you know, falling asleep, drifting away. If we keep on drifting in life, you know, we're going to miss out a lot of things. You know, we are no longer connected with one another. We're just connected to our phones, to our devices, to our possessions, to our objects that we have really lost touch with what is really important in life. And I think the relationships are a huge part of life itself. Because, you know, we, even though we came to this world alone and we're going to die alone for the most part, guess what? Isn't it interesting that relationships are what brings us together and to bring us to different destinations? And I feel that, you know, this is one of the reasons why disconnect, you know, is actually called disconnect because it sounds like disconnect, D-I-S-C-O-N-E-C-T. Right. And the reason why, you know, I, I chose that play of words is always to really illustrate how disconnected that we are all becoming from one another, from ourselves, more importantly. And in changing the word T-H-I-S-C-O-N-N-E-C-T dot today, we hope that, you know, people can become more connected to who they truly are and who they are meant to be today, not tomorrow, yeah. today. And all we need to do is to make a conscious choice. You know what? Today, I'm going to be more aware. Today, I'm going to be more grateful for the life that I have. Today, I'm one and I wish to connect with somebody else out there. Mm-hmm. Just by a simple hello. Or just by a simple of how are you? And that can make a whole lot of difference to somebody else who is out there because you don't know who is struggling. We all put on many different masks as we go through life. You know, some of us, you know, we wear the you know social titles, the ranks that we carry. We put on the mask. We know we learn how to mask our emotions. Like I mentioned, you know, we sweep the things that we can't deal with underneath a carpet. And really, if you take out all the masks that you put, because they are all artificially constructed, who are you? Really, who are you? What is your deeper self? What is the most authentic self? What is love? And what is life? Talk, talk about masks of Singapore, something that I think that's how we were actually introduced through um, this wonderful initiative. Um, describe for our listeners the idea, as you were just describing how we all wear masks, what, what was Masks of Singapore? Yeah, t- t- what was it about? And why, why do you think that was necessary for? Well, well Masks of Singapore, you know, was a six months movement that, you know, um, you know, disconnect, you know, we actually created, you know, and, you know, the way we do it is through three-hour self-awareness workshop that, you know, I kind of designed using life coaching and also art and craft. And the way we are doing art and craft is, you know, the people who come for this workshop itself, they are actually... Um, creating their mask and this mask is a representation of their version of who they think they are in their truer self 
So I kind of run a couple of process, you know, to allow them to dream deeper, to get connected to what really matters to them in that three hours. And by the end of three hours, each of them will have a mask. So we ran it the whole of 2021 um, for six months itself. And we actually got 572 participants who participated in the Mask of Singapore movement. And we actually created um, a record, you know, a new record, you know, with the Singapore book of, book, book of records, you know, for the largest display of sculptured masks, you know, mosaic. I mean, it's a fascinating um, approach, and I'd encourage our listeners to to search that up because um, I, I think it's a very personal expression and something that uh, when uh, what we've been talking about just now is that identity is personal, yet it's shared. We share our identity with those around us. We are expected to fulfill our roles in society in that respect. And uh, well, I guess. From me, from my perspective, I'm a I'm a I'm a '80s kid. Grew up in the '80s and the '90s, and I think the desire and the search was always to connect. Was always to try and find ways to connect. I remember growing up in Singapore, and the first time, the rotary dial telephone. Yes, indeed, I am that old. Uh, switched over to the uh, push button phone. Uh, people was people were just making phone calls because we could push buttons, um, and we felt suddenly one notch closer. And when uh, the internet came along and began to really sort of participate in our lives, a certain generation felt that this was it. This was truly the coming together of worlds. And, you know, and I think it's, it's quite interesting that we're now in that phase, almost like a bereavement phase, where from acceptance, we've suddenly gone back a few and said, are we truly connected? Or are we now in a situation that we have to reframe what the, uh, you know, what I guess identity truly means and means to. Um, maybe that's why there's so much of discussion and, and, and rightfully so on various different, uh, you know, gender identities and pronouns. The, the, the need to be um, understood uh, is a very personal and a very uh, powerful one, isn't it? It is. Well, I guess coming in terms of what we're trying to frame here is that we're looking at mitigating strategies. I mean, there's no way that we are trying to in any which shape or form treat these sessions as solution finding, but at least being able to um, sort of turn the, turn, turn the soil over and look in terms of what's going on. Now, WHO's identified action criteria, which I'd encourage our listeners to, you know, really go and you'll find the link below of this podcast. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an easy read, but more than that, I think it informs greatly and I think links a lot to what MK has also been talking about. Um, it offers a lot of mitigating strategies and it's not fully integrated into many healthcare policy making. And I think MK, as you said, it's not so much about policy making, but the implementation or the understanding of the individual. I thought I'd bounce off a couple with you and see what you have to say, because I think you may have an opinion on them. So I've cherry picked one or two and thought I'd see what you have to say. Now, one of them is that we should be including people with mental disorders as a vulnerable and marginalized group requiring prioritized attention and engagement. Now, let me frame that for the listeners. Currently, um, anybody who presents with a certain mental condition or is either dismissed simply as saying, now come on, anxiety goes on with everybody, so get along with it, you know, there's, there's nothing really wrong with you, or it somehow sequences into some sort of a physical output 
or a damaging outcome. And most people say that's a little too late. It's not a prioritized one, which is recognized in the same way. Would you have a point of view on that? Do, do, you, do you see mental health perhaps not being prioritized? Or in fact, do you think it is in some respects being more accepted? Can you repeat the question, the first part of the question? Absolutely. So uh, the way that WHO frames one of their action criteria is that uh, systems should include people with mental disorders who have mental disorders as a and recognize them as a vulnerable and marginalized group who require prioritized attention and engagement. Think of it like a A&E. It's an emergency. It's a priority. It's not something that you say, come back two months later, I have other people to see. Do, do, do you think that that is something which is a, an urgency or a priority that we need to be looking at? Very, 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 very complex in your question because... There's no right or wrong in any of this. I mean, there's just a, it's a sense that is this a realistic uh, perspective um, for us to look at? Okay, first and foremost, I think that I think that, you know, even though a person may have, you know, mental health disorders or mental health issues, you know, I don't necessarily agree that, you know, all of them, you know, need to be watched out for at the same time. So I think that, you know, there are certain categories that can be devised, there can be different labels that is being um, put onto the degree of, you know, emergency or the degree of awareness that people out there need to look into. So that's, that's, that's what I think, all right? Yeah. But I feel that, you know, to really solve the crux of this issue itself is to go back to self-awareness. We need to raise the awareness of our society to get them to be more connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that connection that. part, yeah, I completely agree. I, I think it's, and, and that's why mental health policy is so hard to get a grasp on. It's a bit like trying to hold water um, there's no, there's no one point that you can sort of grab it and say, let's do this. Um, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I think what you've been saying about the need for there to be self-actualization and awareness, and this is why MK, I was so keen to have you uh, on our dialogue series because of this perspective that often gets sidelined. Um, a second one, uh, I think linked to this is that, uh, WHO has outlined a, another point to say explicitly include, uh, mental health within general and priority health policies. So for instance, it should take equal position as other, you know, let's say diseases that are considered non-communicable. So HIV, AIDS, women's health, uh, child health, adolescent health, um, that mental health should become part and parcel of regular treatment and not be treated as you go down that corridor for the mental health stuff, right? Uh, it should become almost like part of when you walk into a system, you are presenting yourself equally as much as somebody next to you who's just getting diagnosed with diabetes, for instance. It's, a, it's an NCD status that WHO uh, is, is trying to look at mental health to be, to be positioned at. And it's, a, it's an interesting one. Uh, well, do you have any thoughts? Definitely, definitely. 
like you know, like you see, you know, I think you know that kind of emphasis need to put it up, um, so that people recognize that mental health is a real issue. It's not something that we should be undermining. It's not something that we should just you know shove it down the corner and then start telling ourselves, say, oh, you'll be okay tomorrow. You know, it's not that. You know, the earlier a person actually asks for help, get help, the more likely you know it actually increases their time of recovery. Mm-hmm. It actually stops you know unnecessary sufferings you know from continuing to happen. Mm, yeah, so yeah, I think that is important. I think that um, by more importantly, why I think that is important also because when people start, you know, putting mental health, you know, at the level where physical, you know, issues, you know, are happening, sooner or later, you know, people is going to start seeing the connection between the mental, the emotional, and the physical side, and I'm all for that because you know we need to be more integrated. The way we look into things can no longer be isolated, especially. In the very sophisticated world that we live in today. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, the uh, this this uh, this dialogue series is somehow it keeps bringing up one uh, one bogey bear, and that is the insurance and payers. Um, because the reality is that even if we wanted to try and make this happen, uh, insurance coverage is a very slippery slope. Um, if one walks in to say. I think I've got um, a headache and I think that I need to get myself, you know, with an MRI scanner, that's perfectly fine. If I walk in and say, I'm just feeling a little low and I've been feeling a little depressed and and anxious for a few months, um, that's not something insurance companies look at and say, right, let's cover you for that and give you a few months off to recover or anything of that sort. You have to go through some sort of a uh, psychotherapy or therapy sessions to 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 then be able to you know uh, have that so there's there's certain gaps in um, the sense of an individual going through a certain sense that all is not well emotionally and you know uh, on, on those lines versus something that can be equated with disease management so I, I think that's what WHO was trying to point out that you know non-communicable disease and then mental health, on the other side, no, actually, that has to be seen side by side. And if that's to happen, then all sorts of other financing and payer and all those other models start to creep in, which is, which is, which is quite, um, I guess, part of a discussion there. But again, this is part of why uh, this particular category is is something that just has to be seen like a Rubik's cube, isn't it? This is so many perspectives to me. Yeah. Um, MK, I think what's really important as we sort of come up. To our, uh, to, to our to our and a little above that is that um, it's so important for our listeners. We, you know, we get a lot of feedback uh, on different channels, different forums. We're being asked many times to, you know, sort of focus on certain areas. And then this one in particular has been uh, of, of keen interest. And I think it'll be really wonderful if we could leave our listeners with some key takeaways. And rather than myself trying to uh, say what that is. I, I, I think it would be really awesome if, particularly for the young folks listening right now, MK, what would be your message to them? And what's your, what's your takeaway? And what would be your, uh, I guess, um, words of wisdom, if one might say, uh, for our listeners? I think all men need to find out, you know, why we're living for and what we're living for. And there's no tomorrow to figure it out. It always begins with now because now is the only time that we know for sure that we have. If we can put a stop to the procrastination, 
and unwillingness, you know, to deal with the important questions in life, then maybe our life wouldn't be at where we are at today. And realize that you're at where you're at today in your life because of the choices that you once upon the time made and the consequences and the side effects that came in along the way as well. It's neither good or bad. It's just, it is what it is. If we can have an approach to look into life that there's not, that, you know, even bad things that happen in life, or things that seemingly bad, it's not really necessarily bad because there are lessons down there for you to learn. That they are neither good or bad, it is what it is. And these are just lessons. If we can have that kind of openness and willingness and the courage you know, to confront ourselves, I think the first question that you must be able to ask yourself is this, who are you really? What really matters to you at the end of the day? If today were to be the last day of your life, can you say that you have lived a worthwhile life? Now, if you can say that, great for you. Ask yourself, you know, what is the next level you can go after? What is the next level of development that you want to put yourself into? But if you can't, then maybe it's time to look into what is holding you back from living a powerful life. Powerful not in the judgment and not in the eyes of other people, but powerful in your own measure. That you can call this your life, that you can have the freedom and the ownership to say that, you know what? I've lived my life and I'm ready to go. So I think that awareness of who you are is going to be more important than who you think you are as an identity, the achievements, the social titles that you carry. And I feel that, you know, that question that you ask yourself is the beginning of understanding your mental wellness, your emotional wellness, and also your physical wellness. And also in understanding that spirituality is a way of life and part of being spiritual is to realize that beyond the material itself, there's also the non-material world. And asking yourself, who are you as a person is part of that equation because they are intangible. This is what I think. And I think that sometimes it is more important to be truthful to ourselves than to be politically correct. Mm. Yeah, so those are those are very important. Those are important words for people to hear and to understand. Um, you know, life is one of those almost, as you said, the intangibles. Uh, we 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 don't actually understand. We don't live perhaps necessarily in that moment. We're we're continuously on this journey, and we each find our ways in different different expressions. Um, you use the term a life well lived, and the ability for people to understand their self-actualization and self-worth, whatever that might be. You know, no one is there to say, you know, someone is or something is more worth than another one. Uh, what's most important is that whenever anyone is feeling or going through sense of despair or loss of hope, um, you should always know that there are that there are avenues and that there are available resources. Um, whichever country you're in, um, uh, they're very easy to find SOS helplines, etc. Uh, we urge you, as always, um, to always look and talk to your friends, to your family, uh, to support groups, and, uh, and understand and appreciate uh, what it is that perhaps um, you're, you're going through. Um, MK, I just want to thank you so much for taking this time on what I think is a very, very special episode. It's, it's highly sensitive. It's not one that we typically do, which is fairly steeped in clinical evidence and science and all of that. I think the need of the hour was to understand it from the perspective of someone like yourself. And for that, we're very, very thankful. 
Um, the season continues. Um, we're going to be really sort of looking at more perspectives to try and understand this multidimensional space, uh, which we are looking at from the lens of the uh, WHO mental health framework. Uh, you can find out or hear more about us at um, a website at the voicesprojectasia.org. Uh, we thank you as always for all those listeners who reach out and take the effort to write their stories and tell us what they'd like to hear about more. And uh, MK's group, you'll find the link for that below as well. So there's a lot that you can uh, uh, participate in. I'm sure uh, MK and the team there would be delighted to hear from you as well. Thank you yep. so much, MK. And uh, listeners, stay tuned for our next episode, uh, which follows soon. Thank you.